I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Ricketts. Just a, a quick uh, quick thank you and request. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for uh, just being a great community these, this last year and a half or so. Uh, I've gotten a lot of really great emails. I, I, I promise I am going to be doing uh, a show coming up just to, just to talk about uh, so, you know, so much of that. I've had a lot of great uh, email exchanges with readers. Um, had some really enthusiastic reader or readers, listeners discover the show recently and uh, dive in. Matt Wall listened to the entire back catalog in like a week or two, which I uh, I, I cannot say I recommend and uh, and God help him. But uh, a few of you have have been incredibly generous and sweet in in. Uh, and listening and in writing in and then spreading the good word and and in um, and helping to support the show as well. I just actually tonight I just ordered new mic stands for uh, Brian and Cameron because the ones that came free with the mics that <laughs> that we got uh, uh, the the free one was a piece of shit. Uh, the mine fell apart very quickly. I had to replace it and I've got um, I've got some new mic stands headed their way. Now um, all of that is um, along with you know a number of other expenses some uh, strictly necessary and some arguably frivolous uh, are all you know funded by the secret show so you know it really does make a difference if you are able to support the show please go to sleeverickets.substack.com and sign up there or just sign up for a free subscription and you'll get a little taste of what the secret show is all about uh, I, I I should say that I am not, uh, I am no saint, I am no uh, stoic, and I do sometimes get a little anxious and envious of some uh, some literary podcast I uh, that are on my radar that um, that are very active on say social media or that are already attached to a, an existing and. A vibrant platform of one kind or another. And we don't really do that. I mean, we're not on Twitter anymore. It was a brief and fun, but I think ultimately sort of failed experiment. And we're not, I mean, we're not on any social media. I'm not. The show is not. And there's not really any other apparatus attached to the podcast to get the word out there. I mean, the truly the primary means by which people hear about this podcast is other listeners one-on-one. So I, I really do, I really am grateful for all of you who have, who have passed the word along in one place or another. Uh, if you, if you haven't do, please just take a moment, just recommend the show to a friend that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, especially if your friend happens to be uh, uh, rich, because you know, I think I think this is the thing I'm I'm learning is that when people find out about the show, they tend to be either furious at it, which is gratifying in its own way, or they tend to be really really into it, and they just never would have heard of it if you hadn't personally recommended it. So, you know, as I said, we we're not on Twitter. We don't. The word's not getting out otherwise. Um, it is amazing, truly amazing, uh, the kind of growth we've had um, just on word of mouth alone. But it it would be great if you um, if you could if you could spread the word. Just again, don't no need to no need to go no, no megaphones no need no need to make major announcements. Though if you feel like uh, writing a, writing an essay review of the show, I certainly won't 
uh, I certainly won't um, just try to dissuade you. But really just say something one-on-one -on -one to somebody you think uh, you think might enjoy it or might enjoy uh, hate listening to it, which is, I know we have a healthy portion of our listeners are, are hate listening and um, uh, welcome to all of you as well. All right, this week I am, I have a huge backlog right now of really good episodes, but I'm releasing this one a little bit out of order. This is a conversation I just recorded the other day with Brian, who's been away from the podcast for a while. He had a lot of family uh, he had to travel and um, various family stuff going on, but, but we're very glad to have him back. Uh, this The reason I'm releasing this one um, today is that it is, it's actually directly pertinent to uh, a conversation I am going to be recording Friday with Carmine Starnino. Uh, editor, editor, one of the editors, I don't know what his current position is, but he's, he's a, a, he is a longtime editor, poet, critic, uh, in Canadian poetry, he is an editor at the Walrus. He um, uh, ran Partisan Magazine for uh, some years. He has published a new. I'm not going to fucking introduce Carmen in this episode because he's not in this episode. But he wrote a, a really, a really good essay about artificial intelligence that I'm going to be uh, talking with him about Friday. This episode uh, touches on that, and in fact, his article comes up in this conversation. So I wanted to put it out there now so he might have a chance to listen to it before we talk. Um, and also because I think you'll just enjoy it. I think it's just a fun episode. It is a little bit of a and intractable problems episode. We do talk some about poetry and uh, one of the one of the pieces that we're discussing is an essay by Brad Lighthouser, who is a MacArthur Genius Grant winning poet, among other things. Uh, but it is it is um, more about chess and uh, AI and uh, ethics and uh, uh, prostate stimulation. This was this was a request, or I should say, a demand uh, put to us by Eric, who's a a faithful listener and subscriber. Who, who insisted that Brian and I talk specifically about this particular crisis. So uh, here you go, Eric, you're welcome. And I hope that you all will enjoy. Yeah, where should we, should we I don't have much chess? to say about chess, so we can talk yeah, about okay. chess. I don't. I feel like you are more invested in this. I, I found the Lighthouser article. Um, I think I don't want to break my being the anti-Lighthouser guest on mm, this um, okay. on this podcast. So he wrote a, a totally anodyne article about uh, chess, uh, and I don't know whether I can just say he wrote a totally anodyne article about chess, or whether I should criticize it for its anodinity. Uh, which is definitely, it might be a word, but I am, um, I don't know. I thought this article was, was kind of boring with a couple interesting sentences. Also, Magnus Carlson seems to think that a, a how old is this guy? 19, 19 his yeah. 19 year old cheats when he plays chess. And the way Magnus Carlson, um, handled this was by quitting twice. Correct. Yeah. In quitting meaning different things, but yeah, basically. Yeah. So do you want to take us through Magnus Carlsen first um, while I ask sure. only slightly um, knowledgeable about chess questions and you can explain the severity of all this to me? Sure. So in a recent, like a one month ago, basically, in a tournament in St. Louis, it's a big annual tournament. The, one of the, the biggest, not the biggest American annual tournament. 
Yeah, I mean, biggest and like it's significant in the chess world overall. Like, you know, Magnus Carlsen is not an American player. It, he's, he's the world champion. He's uh, Norwegian. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big, serious chess club. And Magnus um, Carlsen is still a young man, correct? He's 31, I think 32, maybe. And is he widely considered to be the greatest player, uh, the greatest world player since Kasparov? Yeah. I mean, he and, and the debate, it tends to be which of those two is the best player ever to have lived. Right. So this guy is one of the greatest, if not the greatest chess player of all time. Yeah. So he um, he went into the Sinkfield Cup in St. Louis. He was on a 53-game undefeated streak, which sound, which is slightly different than what it sounds like because most of these games are draws. Yeah. Okay. Um, but he yeah he loses a classical game of chess very seldom. This is over the over the board with a significant uh, uh, stretch of time um, in which to play. So uh, at the last minute, Hans Niemann, who's an American player, uh, he's 19 years old. He came into the uh, tournament. I can't remember if this was because there were two tournaments he was in recently. Um, that there that was, but but in, but it, I believe in both of them he was the lowest ranked player. And not only was he the lowest ranked player, but he was uh, I mean like almost 200 points below Magnus Carlsen, which is which is an enormous range. Like that's a lot of points. That's a big, big, big difference. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but in his younger days, he he had a uh, an admitted history of cheating. Yes, so he has admitted, he has publicly admitted to cheating previously twice in online games. It's, it's of course, it is very possible to cheat in online chess. It's not clear how possible it would be to cheat over the board. But yeah, I can he, think he of admitted, one way. Well, yeah, so he's admitted to cheating twice in the past. Uh, oh, by the way, I should say this was uh, this was a segment uh, Eric demanded that we. He, he said he said discuss the Hans Niemann Magnus Carlsen butt plug cheating scandal, or I will unsubscribe. So he, no, he that's demanded fair. that we that's, talk that's about That's a this. good yeah. request. But um, butt plugs were the way that I was thinking about. That yes. was the one way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just to I'll be try, clear. Yeah, I'll try, but, try to go through but, this more quickly. But before we get to the butt plug, I just yeah. want to get your sense of this. And if you don't know the answer, that's obviously fine. How does one cheat in computer chess or in chess at all? What is right. the, if you are playing the best player in the world, what does cheat, what do you do to cheat? Well, okay. So, so this is where computer chess is very different because the, and this is where the, the the Lighthouser article is maybe somewhat relevant because what he's talking about in his article is is Kasparov beating Deep Thought, which was before Kasparov played Deep Blue and Deep Blue won. Deep Blue was sort of a later iteration of Deep Thought, an, an IBM computer. And what Lighthouser in this essay called Kasparov beats Deep Thought, he basically he says like, he is the greatest chess player in the world, but very, very soon computers will dominate chess absolutely and forever. And, and that, of course, is, is true. That is what happened. So at the time, you needed an enormous IBM computer hooked up over, you know, cables over 300 miles and a bunch of guys to run it in order to beat the best chess player in the world. I mean, at the time, you could even that could not be the chess, best chess player in the world. And uh, at the time, to be clear, it was 1989. 1989, yeah. Today, you know, I could pull up the engine on my chess.com application on my computer, I mean, on my phone and, and have like a 3,200 rated chess engine to, that would just, that would just crush any human alive. I mean, 3,200 roughly approximate, because that's sort of impossible to, to gauge, but like compared to the very best chess player in the world who has 
maybe one of the highest ratings of any human ever, and it's like 2850-ish. So does that mean that by following what the computer tells you to do, given the state of the board, you it is impossible to lose? It's not impossible to lose, but you would have to be, you would effectively have to be playing somebody else who was also playing a computer engine to lose. Like your, 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 your game is so accurate in a way that is superhuman that it, it becomes the difference between, so like I had a funny experience recently as a very, very bad chess player, as we've established, I had a funny experience where I, I see these guys, um, uh, it has been once a year. It was we took a couple of years off because of COVID, but I see them once once a year up at the Mountain House, uh, and we hang out and watch uh, RoboCop videos. Apparently, is the what we now do. But oh, this was the thing that you invited wives to for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I hadn't been up there for a couple of years. During that couple of years, I've happened to get into chess. I am still a, both a very bad player and like most of these guys are much smarter than I am. Like, like I'm a pretty smart guy and they're like definitely much smarter than I am. <clears throat> and I brought a chessboard and we played a little bit and it was fun, but it wasn't close. Like, and not because like they are definitely much smarter than I am, but they haven't played in since they were kids. Like they haven't played and, and like, they haven't thought about it as adults. They haven't, I'm very bad, but I'm in shape basically. Right. And so it was not really close in, I was just seeing a lot more than they were. I had a lot more experience, you know, like it, the board made a lot more sense to me at every turn than it made to them in a way that was illuminating to me, like as somebody who's really not good at this, but just sort of is able to see what a difference some practice and some preparation makes. So you're saying that the aid of a computer is that times infinity where like a computer is able to mathematically, again, it's hard to do this without analogy or metaphor, right? Yeah. But the, the computer is able to, for every move of yours that could result in a victory for you, the computer right. is able to subvert that somehow and have it end up in a victory for it. It's not even that it's able to subvert that. It's that it is able to calculate so many possible paths that it will make a very small move now that will ratchet the game ever closer to just a crushing position that you can't get out of. And in a way that like, there's a, you know, Lighthouser says at one point that like he, you know, he says by 18 moves, it was clear to the very, very best players in this room that Kasparov was gonna win this game. It yes. took everybody else a dozen more moves to see the implications of the position. And that's what computers doing just to a degree that no human has ever come close to Got just it. calculation, calculating those ramifications way, way, way down the road. So Magnus Carlsen might be the best uh, chess player ever to live, yes. but you plus one of these computers would be better than Magnus Carlsen. So, yes. so it, it's easy to cheat as long as you have a way to get the computer. Right. You have to have some, you have to be quick enough to have another program running while you're, while you're playing a game online. But yeah, basically, and you like, you probably helps to be somewhat adept at chess. Um, and, and there's a, there's an argument that's been made. So like they got this, this, so, all right, we didn't even talk about what happened. Hans Niemann played, uh, Magnus Carlsen. He's like a two, it's like 150, 200 points lower in rating than Magnus Carlsen, which is a colossal difference. And Magnus Carlsen, um, used an opening that he rarely uses right or that he's only used occasionally in the past 
Yes. And this is where there is another connection to the Lighthouser uh, piece because in the game that eventually sort of... So later on, Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov. And in one of those games, it may have been the first game that it won or like a significant game that it won because it matched with several games. It played a a very surprising move. And it was a move that Kasparov basically made a choice to say, I'm not going to play the most totally sound move, but what I'm going to play is a move that I think a computer would never read correctly. And the computer read it correctly. And the, and the computer's programmer said, oh, we actually just fed it that move last night. <laughs> and Kasparov said, bullshit, a, a, a human grandmaster made that move. And he, and he still has, has refused to acknowledge that, that, he, that this could have been a real, like, you know, even though computers now have just totally mopped the floor with humans, Kasparov still sort of maintains like that was too good a coincidence for me to trust. And what Niemann said, because what happened is that Niemann was playing black against Magnus Carlsen, which means like, not only does, a, does Magnus Carlsen almost never lose a game, but he definitely almost never loses his game as white because white does have a, a, a significant advantage. Um, so Niemann played with the black pieces against Carlson and played a perfect game. And he, you know, Carlson used this unusual opening and Niemann just played the most elegant, efficient move at every turn. And it wasn't just that he like, oh, wow, this scrappy 19-year-old surprised the world champion. He just he just like meticulously piece by piece crushed him and he crushed him in a kind of a computerized way, which is to say like he, he just kept not making any errors and making slightly better moves until Carlson just got into a, a, a worse and worse and worse position over time. I mean, in the comparison that Nakamura made, Hikaru Nakamura is also one of the best players in the world, was that he said it looked like Magnus Carlson playing somebody. <laughs> Right. Like the way he tends to play. So the the case was relatively straightforward that a much worse player played, didn't get lucky, but played a sort of mathematically perfect game of chess to beat somebody who is never defeated when starting with the white pieces. And it's and and the the, the implication there is. There's no such thing as having a good day. What one's brain needs to work in this, I don't know, a multifactorial level in order to make those right moves. So it's impossible. And we trust Magnus Carlsen's instinct, presumably, yeah. that um that he can tell when somebody's playing less like a grandmaster and more and less like a lucky player and more like a a computer. Right. Interesting. And, and though, just raise the specter of Kasparov, who when he was defeated by a computer, said the um, reciprocal of, of what you just said, which was that I could tell that when I was defeated, I wasn't defeated by a computer, I was defeated by a grandmaster. Yes, so there is the tradition, yeah. right, which was insulting in sort of the, yeah, the, yeah. the reciprocal way. So there is a tradition of the best players in the history of chess making up excuses when they lose. Yes, definitely. And, and what happened was that that uh, Carlson, after losing to Neiman, he withdrew from the whole tournament and he posted a, to some, inscrutable tweet and to others, very transparently accusatory tweet. Do you want to give a... a, a sure, was, he basically, he retweeted a little clip gif thing that was a meme in the sports right. world. Which um, is a, a European football coach, a soccer 
coach manager saying, um, I could say more, but I'd get into trouble. Yeah. And that um, I know very little about uh, soccer, but I've seen that meme dozens, if not a hundreds of times applied to sports that I do watch where there's cheating, you know, potentially involved. So, you know, uh, I, I've seen tennis players uh, call out other tennis players for cheating using that meme. Same thing with uh, baseball during the Astros World Series cheating scandal where they banged on a garbage can to say whether it was going to be a fastball or a slider. Uh, people use that meme all the time. I think that was when I first saw it. So Magnus Carlsen, who is a sports fan himself, using And a that huge meme. soccer fan specifically. A huge, yeah. Right. So my question about that is, why is Magnus Carlsen so pretending to be so reticent of actually accusing the guy of cheating? Because he is just straightforwardly accusing him of cheating. But he's doing it if in this you know like the meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dainty way. But it's not like right. the meme is is some like deep state, not a, right, dark yeah. culture yeah, thing a, that only deep code. you know. It takes about, about like one second to Google it. Right. Yeah. So it's what's the point of aggressively calling somebody out for cheating without calling that person out for cheating? So, so he got more aggressive. So, so there was later there was another tournament. And this is the one where I believe uh, Richard Report, who is the the Hungarian player who was in the candidates tournament recently. Uh, he was because of COVID things. He wasn't able to attend this tournament or participate in this tournament. It was, I believe, a, it was a computer chess tournament. Yes. Um, and so Neiman then joined that one at the last minute. Right. This Carlson, scrappy nineteen-year-old is just constantly joining tournaments at the last minute. Well, and, and, and beating and, Magnus Carlsen. And part of what also makes this weirder is that he he only became a grandmaster two years ago, and he his rating has increased like 200 points in the last two or three years, which is, which is again, just it's an, unusual. A step. And it's, and it's more astounding the higher your rating gets. Yeah. Like, Cause the guy cheats to chess. <laughs> well, that's, it's seemingly it's not so, so astounding. Yeah. So, so he uh, a big cheater. Yeah. yeah. So Carlson, Mystery so Carlson solved. sat down. Uh, so Carlson did choose to play him. He played one move and then, and then immediately resigned. Which again, was that like a, I, I don't know what the, 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 the non-offensive, non-gendered term, but like, was that was that just like a real bitchy move? Like, why did Magnus Carlsen show yeah. up to the match and then quit after one minute? Like, well, that partly very because of what he like. then did, which was that he 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 set himself a handicap, which was immediately having a loss against a lower ranked player, which makes it much harder to win a tournament. And then he won right. the tournament. And so this right. is the thing he's done. Like when he was but no in the one doubts that Magnus Carlson's really good at chess. What I no no no, no but about... he likes to make a point of do, like it, it, when he and I think I mentioned this before. Like in his last candidates tournament, when he'd already won the tournament, he sat down with a guy and he deliberately played the two worst opening moves in chess and then beat the guy just to say, "Fuck you!" Like just it's kind of like saying like take your first shot, you know? Right, and that's part of the reason why he's not going to defend his his championship, right? Because he feels like he's so much better than everybody else. It's a waste of his time. Seemingly so. So then after that, he then put out a statement where he explicitly said, uh, yeah, I think Hans Niemann cheated. I think he's cheated a lot more in the past than he's admitted. I think he cheats online. I think he cheats over the board. I think we need to increase, you know, and then he basically said it again at the end, there's a lot more I would like to say, but I right. still can't say so it. So we, we've buried the lead this, I mean, we've yeah. mentioned the lead or at least the head of, of the lead um, in the cheaters anus, but we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. What, why do you think Magnus Carlsen is being so um, coy about calling this youngster cheater out on cheating? I think probably because he, and as I said, he's gotten less coy, but I think he probably feels bashful about about 
fighting in this way, right? Like, like he feel he can't feel good about having to say, I lost to this guy who's much worse than me, but I think it's because he cheated. Like that doesn't, even if he believes it's true, it doesn't feel good to do that. And so I think he's doing, he's, I think he was, it was like a hesitation wounds when he was doing that first little Mimi tweet. And then he kind of like worked up the nerve to go ahead and make the public accusation. So even though he's the greatest strategist in the most strategic of all pursuits, this you don't think is strategy. You think this is a 31 year old saying I'm pissed off and I don't know quite know what think, to do about it. So I'm going to tweet a meme. Yeah, I think chess is an incredibly nerdy game, but I think it's also a combat sport. And I think like, like if you're really good, you can't just be really smart and really good at calculating and really experienced. You also have to be you also have to like the taste of blood. Like you have to like to beat someone else. And I think I think this is this is sort of the equivalent to the ultra physically impressive professional sports specimen getting into a fight at a bar. And you think like, why would you do something that stupid? Okay. It's like, you're the okay. kind of guy who does this. Like you're okay. the guy I don't who, mind that. Who, I mean, the answer is, this is kind of thing. usually so, uh, CTE. It's usually because they're, they're brain their brain is from all dying. The, yeah. All the and it's not a bar. It's their, right. it's their living room. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's their wife's dad or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not. Uh, so um, yeah, I but think anyway. it's a less horrifying version of that. Okay. So why is it? Because one, will you play chess in um in what sort of outfit typically? One plays chess. At, like, yeah, one one plays player? one plays competitive chess, wearing what oh, sort of outfit? Wearing usually wearing a, a button up shirt and a coat, or like okay. a jacket. Yeah. Great, and presumably pants and underwear and socks and shoes. Right. Yeah. 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 Clo okay. Yeah. Normal clothes. Right. Yeah. So why is it that vibrating anal beads is what everyone goes to when right. he's getting? Because presumably. So what happened was Magnus Carlsen accused this cheating 19-year-old of being a cheater. Right. And then everyone started yelling, I know how he did it. He did it with vibrating anal beads. And that's yeah. funny, right? Yeah. Because Well, it, it was a joke. Like it was, was, a, it it? was a, Yeah, it was a joke. And then Elon Musk said, I think he really did that. <laughs> um, right. Because like as as like Wait, but we, why did everybody like, make that joke initially? Because well, even like, he said, I I'll play naked. Why was that the obvious joke to make? This is what I missed. Like, was it a joke? I thought, I didn't realize it was a joke. I thought I that think people it's, actually I think, thought. I think chess is like definitely like, you know, with Judith Polgar, who who like beat Magnus Carlsen in a game of speed chess in a really cool way during the candidates and like the Queen's Gambit. Like women are getting more involved in chess. However, chess is still like a nerdy little boys club. So and that's I just think like an embarrassing it's way a butt to cheat? joke. It's a butt. Is that all joke it is? It's just thing. a butt. I think joke? it's like you, you beat Magnus Carlsen, but I bet you stuck something in your butt. I think that's what oh, it was. But I don't think I'm unique in thinking that this was actually what people were accusing him of. I is well, it, no. I think I, it started as a joke, and but I think like as Jonathan's wife Caroline said when we were at dinner talking to them about this, she said like, couldn't you get a little thing that would just like squeeze your toe? Right. Like why would it have to be your up ankle. your butt? Like why would right. it have to be? So yeah, like, this, but that's what I was thinking. Right. So I just. Miss, I just got like Morse like, coding, right, by right. stimulating your prostate rather than right. just like giving you a little it, like electrical like shock on your toe. That right. way? Yeah. Or like, <laughs> like, is it somehow it, it couldn't be, it had to be so like light of a vibration to get through the sensors and your like anal cavity was the most sensitive of all the ways uh, well, to do Well, and it? I also think like the, that, that maybe my guess is like probably someone else did suggest some other like less and that just less provocative ways and that's the one that caught fire because it's I the see. internet so no one actually oh so i was totally so no one actually thinks 
that this cheating 19 year old cheated with vibrating anal beads? Well, no, no, no. I think some people now do because of but the no many one who different knows ways. what they're talking about. Do people do be in the same way for the same reasons that I do? But nobody yeah. actually in the chess world thinks that this cheating 19 year old put vibrating anal beads in his anus. I don't think so. But but what's also true is it's hard for anybody to imagine exactly how he could be cheating. Because in theory, because you need to be close to close enough to someone for the remote control to work. And you well, also what is the, you have to be communicating with, with in some way and you have to be there like it, at least in the, I can't, I think it was after that game, but it, but um, the chess but, officiators started um, uh, electric, electrical wanding people like a, like a mag, mag, magnetic wanding people to check them. That sounds weird. Started no, checking I, I people gotcha. the way you would I, check I, it, like right. to see if someone like has a gun on him at an airport. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think it's like it's hard to imagine. You'd have to be like, I guess you'd have to be like a very skilled telegraph operator to to well, get. I don't know. They're only what? What are there? Sixty four squares on a chessboard? Like sixty four squares, but they're also thirty two pieces on each. Like th there's a lot of we, combinations. We could think of a system, though, right? I mean, isn't like. Yeah, oh no, like there's, there's algebraic B7? chess notation like, makes it relatively right. simple, but like you right. would still have to be pretty good. Even if the game is like BXC4, you you like, that's that takes some doing to get it by way of your anus or your toes. Like I guess, I mean, the, the diving bell and the butterfly is a whole memoir written with just like the blinking of one part of one eye. True, I, true, true. So the, 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 uh, the interesting thing that, that, I don't know why this is interesting to me, except that Magnus Carlsen has played against a lot of people. And part of what has made him very good is that he's he is very steely. Uh, but he said part of what threw him off during the, the game against Neiman was that Neiman didn't seem to be concentrating. He didn't seem to be like, he just seemed to be sitting there without, you know, which like, I don't know if, like for some reason, like that could just be a totally meaningless statement that doesn't affect. actually. Like, I mean, I don't. But it also, for some reason, I find it oddly compelling just because the, like that is, there is a weird intimacy between two chess players, like at a, at a really yeah. ser really serious level, sitting across a board, thinking about the board at each other for hours at a time. So it is, a, you know, there's, it's a funny there's thing. something about the story that, interests people I, I think the anal bead aspect of it is, is oh that definitely made it more high yeah. far and, and, yeah, and yeah. foremost um, um among them but also like i think it's kind of fun that the best chess player in the world got beat by like a 19 year old who's found a way to cheat and like who sat there not giving a shit and like the chess player is like infuriated he doesn't even know what to do so we post yeah. some stupid meme and then like he yeah, gets yeah. on the computer and logs off like like yeah. there, there is, Magnus Carlsen is the only chess player. I mean, if if ninety nine percent of humanity cannot name a single chess player, you know the the ninety nine percent right. that's left of that one percent can only name him. Yeah. So it's kind of fun that he got beaten by this cheater. No, is that not? Oh yeah. Well, and as you said, there's there's a there's not only a long tradition of of great chess players making up excuses for losing. There's also a great tradition of young brash chess players doing shocking things like when bobby fisher beat uh some right. british grandmaster and he beat him like when he was 
when he was like 13 by sacking his queen and then like just doing this humiliating routine with his with knight. With the knights, like right? Crushed. With the knights oh, just amazing. kept on going back amazing and game. around. It's called the game of the century. Right. He sacrificed game. his queen in order to get his knight in a position to just one by one, like check the guy and then take a piece, then check the guy he and just, then take he a piece. He windmilled and it's like, right. it's humiliating to watch. And what's also what I like, what I have so much respect for is this guy who is a full grown, very well-respected, very accomplished grandmaster very quickly could have seen that he was just getting crushed and humiliated, but he played the game to checkmate. He played it all the way through, which you don't see much. So like, I, like to me, that was a great, great demonstration of like truly great sportsmanship and like a great love of the game. So like, let's see what this kid can do. So yeah, I mean, the other thing that's funny to me is that part of Carlson's art, like part of his justification for not defending his championship which he def def defended last time against Jan Nepomnici and very likely, or, well, and would have defended again against Nepomnici and might still because Nepomnici won the, the candidates tournament this year. One of his justifications was that he didn't want to just play another guy his age that he'd already beaten. He won, if he want, he wanted, basically he wanted to be beaten by the next great him, right? And and the, right. the candidate he had tapped for that was Ali Reza Ferruja who's also, I think, 19, but who's a like a very, very well-respected and pedigreed French player and who just got got washed at the candidates tournament and not like this asshole American Twitch streamer, which right. is what Hans like, Niemann is. Yeah. Computer record of playing cheat cheater yeah. guy. Right. Yeah. Who may, who like, and, and I think the, it is like the part of what's also fascinating about the story is like, Either he's cheating in a way that nobody has quite figured out, it's and that's cool, kind of amazing, right? Like, right, right, or or he legitimately is maybe the best chess player in the world. <laughs> right. Like, he, or but he's, he's truly never, a genius. Like, but he's never said that, right? He's never said. He did say, "I'll, I'll play Magnus Carlsen naked if yeah, he yeah, wants yeah, yeah. to," which yeah. is kind of funny. But right. he didn't say, "I'm just this good," did he? No, no, no. He said the I opposite. He to said, "Study this thing he, last he night." Said, he um, said the same thing that the chess that computer guy said he well, no but but he also he he went i mean he he also is an asshole and so he he said this amazing thing right afterward yeah let me he, he said magnus carlson must be embarrassed to lose to an idiot like me <laughs> um which is kind of which is kind of great yeah i mean like it's it is um it, it there are just so many opportunities for ill will and schadenfreude uh but i think i think the best opportunity is for like excitement at either like great advances in cheating technology or great advances in like some amazing American 19 year old who's suddenly the new Bobby Fischer. Totally. So there are two directions we can go with this. One is staying on the Lighthouser article and my asking you about a paragraph there. The other is following the great opportunity for schadenfreude to the slate piece on why we should uh, gossip less about men. Uh, which, which way do you want to go? Should we stay with chess for a bit? Uh, I, I'll just say like, I, I love this little article. I also probably love it more because the better, but way more cumbersome and harder to discuss companion to it was a like 60 page piece that he wrote about the fifth world chess championship. Um, and as a kind of a precursor to this, this article about Kasparov and deep thought he's, we just, I just like, we've made fun of him on this, uh, show for being basically for being like a an absent-minded teacher and like a kooky, a kooky individual. Yes. Uh, and then I was weirdly touched when he gave me this copy of his, his weird old book of essays, Penchants and Places. And then I read these two chess Wait, articles. Not, not because he heard art. I don't know if he heard it or not, but he didn't seem to care one way or the other. 
Uh, but he said, like, I said something to like, oh, you're like I said, he was like, oh, I heard you're into chess. Here, let me give you this book. And then like, I just thought these were like beautiful, incredibly smart and like lucidly written pieces about like nonfiction pieces about chess. I just thought like, oh, oh that's I forgot sweet. like Brad Lighthouser is like a really a smart guy who's smart a really guy. good reader. Right. Who's also just like a fucking weirdo, which is what all right. writers like are. Like we yeah. all are. Right. Yeah. So like I, I was just really touched and I thought right. he also like he says there are a few lines. I'm just really saying if you invite people here. over your house for microwave frozen Indian meals, <laughs> microwave the rice also. No reason to put it on leftover pasta. I I can't uh, I can't argue with that. Uh, let me just read one sentence from his earlier um, his earlier chess article that I just thought was quite quite beautiful. Much like literary or musical masterpieces, the finest games of the finest players are to be regarded as distillations of the human soul, and by playing through these games, one can, in a sense, get to know each of these masters personally. So like that's uh, yeah like it's it's. There's there's not a lot in the way of like huge revelations in these. No, actually, articles. I, I want to. I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. I didn't think we were going to go down this this path, but I I wanted to. Um, he writes in, in a similar mindset, I guess. Um, on page one eleven one 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 of the um, article you sent me, um, he writes that chess is not like other games. Whoever wins at pinball or asteroids or Nintendo, again, you can't win at Nintendo, but. Mm -hmm smart, lovely guy, has gained a qualified victory, one undermined by the certainty that it arises only through the machine's, quote, mercy, unquote. No one doubts that a pinball machine or video game could be constructed against which, against which the human hand and eye would flounder. Chess is different. And now I think this is almost the, the nugget at the heart of the entire piece and what he's most excited about writing at this moment. He writes, at present, it may, meaning chess may provide, the only activity in the world in which an all-out struggle between man and machine is a fair fight. Yeah. That to me is what he is most interested in. He's, I, I think he's capturing the moment in time where we have a truly fair battle between man and machine. And that is a, uh, a, a forgive the pun, but deep thought, right? That's mm -hmm. a, a worthwhile thought. And it got me thinking that, like, is there something now that machines and human beings are equally good at with both trying their hardest? Conversation. Actually? Yeah. So if you're willing to say conversation, you're talking about some kind of um, artificial intelligence technology, right? Yeah, I mean... And and as with chess, there are almost as many different strategies. Because part of what's interesting about about like some of the his chess computer chess journalism is that he talks about how there are different theories of how to do this, and and there and there still are different like Alpha Zero, like Google's Alpha Zero chess engine has a like was a new theory of how to build a chess engine, and it works better than any other. Uh, similarly, if you go to like the Turing Test Championships that they do every year there are a bunch of different programs that have a bunch of different ways of how to do like there was like one of the best um at least several years ago was a program that did the it used the amy hempel theory of dialogue at least according to my my guess which is that everything every, is overheard everything is something she's literally overheard and that's why it never sounds phony um that this chat this not this just this conversation machine had hundreds and hundreds of conversations with human beings and every single thing it said was a recycling of something somebody had said to it. Okay. So if you 
are claiming conversation? Are you willing to do what Lighthouser implicitly suggests his reader do, which is go to art? Do you feel that right now machines and human beings are roughly in a fair fight when it comes to a painting or a poem or a song? Or so, is there an obvious victor in that competition? There, there was a recent piece about this by Stephen Marsh, and there was a slightly earlier piece by Carmen Cernino, who's a subscriber and who's a, a lovely guy I've worked with before, and who said he's going to come on the show. We keep just oh, trying to schedule cool. it, so he is going to come on. But he, so they, I'll, like they're speaking both sort of specifically about poetry and literature, and I, I think that the difference without spoiling too much Carmen's article, the difference has to do with the stakes for the entity composing the thing. And this is where I actually thought that that at the end of the article, the Lighthouser article, he stumbles into a really useful uh, analogy. Is this about the mountain? Yeah. So he says at the end, um, he says, uh, the world's most fascinating game has surely entered its most fascinating era. Though a man still stands on Everest, the mountain beneath him is steadily being eroded. Or perhaps one might better say that some ways off from Everest, platoons of machines are working night and day to construct a mountain far larger than anything our wayward, tectonically restless planet has yet seen. So, so Joanna, who's a, who's a documentary addict, has recently, her, her latest uh, fixation, she's gotten into mountaineering documentaries. Interesting. Where where she's watching this guy Jimmy Chin, I think is the guy's name, uh, who's just like he's a very good climber, but he's also like the world's best climbing documentarian because you have to be a really good climber <laughs> to like document climbing. So the like a really interesting split uh, because there's just like there's a lot of like grit and and skill and dedication that is required regardless of what kind of mountaineering you do. But there's this subcategory of climbers who are free soloists and and there's you know while like some of the greatest free soloists are also some of the greatest climbers period everybody intuitively understands without blinking that it's a totally different game if you don't have a fucking rope right and so even if a hundred people have climbed this particular mountain face with ropes if you're the first guy to do it without a rope, even though you're not using the rope to climb, the rope is it. literally just a safety measure, that's a totally different game. So and to connect me, that back to a computer making art. So that is, okay, so well, well I think it's, it's actually, I take it back first to computer playing chess. Where like if you watch a, a human tournament, even though like talking to Jonathan the other day about this, he said like, oh, well, aren't the best moves just the best moves? Like, well, yes, yes, they are, but you know, when you're watching a chess tournament with commentary, not only are you watching it with like people who can sit back in their armchairs and talk about it in a casual way, they have a chess engine running all the moves in real time. And so they know immediately whether the move was good or not and how good and how bad. And, and yet there's, there's an enormous amount of suspense because even though they're sitting back there with a machine that can calculate everything beyond any human's you know, uh, imagination, you have two guys sweating it out at the board who can't see it and who don't know and are having to just make grit their teeth and make calls in the moment over the board. So and, the chess and, is more exciting because it's human. Because they're free soloists. Right. 
And the, and the computer is just like a giant ropey climbing machine. So I think that, you know, Carmine's argument is that the problem with, with computers writing poetry specifically, like Stephen Marsh's claim is you can put any artists, any writers, like feed a hundred pages or, or whatever by any writer into this computer engine. It will assimilate this writer's style flawlessly without making any kind of period errors or anachronistic errors. It'll, it'll perfectly assimilate this writer's style. And then it will reproduce, it'll, it'll generate new material in that style in a way that you would never say anything, but like, oh my God, obviously Ernest Hemingway wrote this or obviously Shakespeare wrote this. And, and Carmine's response is not, no, it's not authentically the style. His response is sort of like, well, that's actually not what we're here for. So there was an article in the New York Times uh, three days ago, passed around on Twitter and by some of my teacher friends. The, the headline is Six Figure Artworks, comma, by a Fifth Grader. Mm. Uh, Andreas Valencia's paintings have sold for more than $125,000 and he's 10 years old. And then the the article mentions a couple other like uh you know art prodigies or little picassos and implies that maybe their parents were involved but right. here we see this little this little guy uh drafting a work of art in a in a sort of mid career picasso style of not cubism but certainly like body parts you know not where they would normally belong but if you put them together you can see that it's a, a face or a body and they're selling for a lot of money and and you look at a photo of them and they're they're nice to to look at yeah is it more exciting to us that a 10 year old is making them than a 30 year old because it's more unusual or because there's more or less emotional stake is it like there's the computer doing art which we don't care at all about the adult doing art, which we've learned to care about, and then the 10-year-old where we think maybe there's a mysterious genius, or is that not, should those three not be on it, should not uh, share a scale? Well, I think I think they, they weirdly are, I think we are very inconsistent in the way we respond to this. And right. like, like, so, so um, this is uh, also in the Kasparov piece, Lighthizer talks about this, that like the well, I won't, I won't try to read because it's a long thing. But basically, like the 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 thing that that's the people who doubted the capacity of chess machines to beat humans kind of hung their case on was intuition. They said that like humans can calculate moves, computers can calculate moves, computers can calculate moves a lot better than humans. But because humans can't calculate billions of moves, they have to intuit the best moves, and it's intuition that computers will never be able to match. Of course, that proved to be false. But it's, it is, it is, you know, as other Well, it didn't have, prove to be false, right? Because well, yeah, computers don't, don't, intu intuition. don't intuit moves. Computers Although AlphaZero does a slightly forward. different thing. But computers just brute, do, do more brute force than, 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 more powerful out, than, than outstrips human. Right. Yeah. But the, um, the, the weird contradiction that I think other people, philosophers and stand-up comedians have pointed out is that we are more attached to our natural endowments than to our acquired skills. And that if, if somebody t says to you like, boy, I can tell you worked really hard on this book, that might be nice to hear, but you would it much rather hear like, I don't know how you did right. this. You're just right. so You're talented. A genius. Right. You're a genius. And so I think we, we respond to that in a way and that like, that's what we see in a kid. Right. Whether it's a tennis player or an artist. Right. Where we see that, it's like, that the, pure distillation about of... the human spirit that defies right. explanation. And I think we, we're inspired by that in a way that we're not by, 
which is partly like what people found both both like encouraging and disheartening about the whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours things thing. Like what if talent is just the accumulation of enormous quantities of skill? Whether all there are lots of problems with that whole thing. Yeah, I was you remember say, that where from what angle shall I tell you? No, no, no. Like, I, have I don't, I don't, I'm not Gladwell's even endorsing that. I'm just saying like thing. as a, yes, as a concept that, that was introduced in the public instinct. mind, like that's right. part of what people responded to is this weird, the sacredness of intuition, talent, innate, you know, ability. Right. But Malcolm Gladwell standing on the, the rooftop shouting, if you practice something for 10,000 hours, you, you'll be good at it as though it was, you know, right. like the, yeah. the, the epiphany we were all waiting for is. Uh, yeah, no, is, lots of problems with with all yeah. of that. But yeah, but I think we have an attachment to to like God given things as we imagine them. And they're in their purest form in children and their least pure form in machines. Yes. I mean, and in fact, it's, it's galling and uncanny to if, when we feel like we encounter them in machines. Right. Which is why these work, these works of art, I feel like I've seen them more frequently lately. They just art. look yeah. right. Ro it just like, looks like a really cool painting. You know, I, there, I've always seen them on a computer, so it's, right, right, right. I have trouble knowing their, you know, like effect if they were on yeah, a giant yeah. canvas, but certainly seems like something that someone would find artistic or appealing or successful, you know, had, had a human being do it. And it is uncanny. I think that's exactly the right word. It, it's the, the question is less, can a computer do it? And more, do we care if a computer can do it? Or do I want to spend my time looking at it if a computer did it? And then if so, is there something in the uh, programming in the algorithm in the, in the comp sci in the language that enables it that is beautiful in and of itself i certainly don't have the background to understand the beauty and yeah. whatever created the beauty and that's where i throw up my hands and say i guess i don't care i would right. be curious to see if a, a novel or a, a feature-length film or, or something like that could be made by a non-human entity it seems impossible right i i can't even imagine how that how that could be possible but i yeah. but i could equally imagine 15 years from now people listening to this as everyone will be in 15 years from now saying what the, what an like an idiot of course who would have guessed how easily matthew was replaced by a robot <laughs> yeah exactly it's just a robot interviewing me talking about the, i'm just yelling about stuff at a robot well you know why. it's a brian i'm robot. not replaced yeah. in this you're, scenario you're, right? yeah that's true yeah that would it's, be great like you just like sweaty brian like, yeah. like getting, getting like a little un, like unhealthier year by year <laughs> yeah. like a yellow pallor to me but I'm still, like, with this radio robot, the robot. Yeah. yeah the robot's yeah, so, talking um, to his the, robot daughters uh, needs to take I a break forgot. What was the, because there was a line in there um, about, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is where I thought of, um, this is also from the from the article that I didn't have you read, but- Thanks, but, yeah, keep uh, these coming. <laughs> but um, but it, it made me think exactly of what you're talking about, which is filmmaking and novel writing, because I think uh, poetry is on the, is on the more, like poetry is more susceptible to prodigies than novels are. Um, and it's for the reason that I, th like there are, there are, you know, like there aren't many, but there are like some teenage, brilliant, immortal poets. I feel like with novels, there are fewer of that. Like you don't, there are no no brilliant novels written by fifteen year olds. Right, but there, are, there are brilliant poems, brilliant poems written, by, written by fifteen. Is that just yeah. because poems are shorter? Poems are shorter and they're simpler. There's a simpler set of rules and possibilities. Uh, the so this is the line he has in in the other chess article that I think gets gets at this. He says. Uh, music and chess have a mathematical grounding that never lies very far below the surface. 
And the three disciplines, which he says in a confusing way, but it's music, chess, and math, the three disciplines present a range of similar demands and appeals. Each requires little emotional maturity or knowledge of the world for its mastery. Each employs patterns of a sufficient logical rigor to permit missing terms or sequences to be supplied through deduction, and each seems to exist in a hermetic zone whose independence of the larger world offers the promise of transcendental release. So interesting as it um, refers to music. Like, it, yeah. do you think- Because you also, there are 15-year-old music prodigies. Right, right. And composers, and yet right. I've definitely- And math, like, and math, math right. like mathematicians often, not always, but like often, like right. burn out by their Peak at late 20s, 20 or yeah. something right yeah I, I mean i wonder whether musicians or composers primarily because the, the right we're, we're speaking of two different things technical skill of performing and and composing although there are, there is some artistry of course in in performing yeah. but whether I think, I think i think like at least like the my sister and her husband, the classical pianist, would say, "Like, there's, there's a lot of artistry." But yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yes, yeah. Of, of course. Yes. But they're different. It's a different. It's, 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 it's not generative in quite the same way. It's not generative. Exactly. That's the distinction. Yeah. No, that that I'm more than willing to say. I chose the wrong words about. Uh, but I am. Is there no wisdom in in, in performance and in composition? There is. I think. Yeah. I mean, this is, and this is where, like. I, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I, I used to teach a violin prodigy. Did I mention this? No, not on the podcast. Did, I did not teach your violin to clarify. Just like I, I taught some ballet prodigies. People are like, oh, I didn't know you dance. No, I don't. I taught them English. I taught them, I, I tried to tell them about poems. But so I, I had a little nine-year-old um, violin prodigy who would like drive up to Juilliard twice a week from Baltimore and she had this literally had like a freakish deformity where like the fingers on one of her hands were much much longer than the fingers on the other hands it's like uh, cheating i guess it's cheat yeah i mean it's, it's but again it's god given right it's this innate thing that we were kind of it was magical and she was a very silly goofy like i have a nine-year-old daughter now who's who's silly and goofy but is also sort of like broody and dreamy and like gets lost in her deep thoughts a lot this was not amy like amy was a very light silly girl who had a hard time paying attention in class and just liked silly things and then would pick up a violin and do <laughs> like god like perform these godlike actions that were just inconceivable but what was also apparent to me as somebody who's a total uh, novice in when it comes to like even identifying classical music was that she was playing with unfathomable skill and precision and i mean it was extraordinary to listen to but it also felt a little bit perfunctory like and it you felt, don't think me, you were just reading that into it i could I, it's totally because possible. when you see it's a tiny little nine-year-old it's both, like, it's both is... anecdotal right. and and like and totally right you don't have uh, a control for that bias. right it's i don't like have any control right. it's not an experiment at all but the impression i got was like even when she was like 16 and it like had her heart broken a little like she would actually be that much better that it Do just you know what happened like, to her uh, I think she's still playing. I haven't looked her up. Um, nice. I should. I should yeah. look her up. Yeah, she, she was great. Actually, like, she was a delightful kid to teach about sounds and work. I mean, we didn't ever get very far with English because she just had a hard time concentrating on anything that wasn't violin. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I should look her up now because because it is, that was the thought I had. It was like like a little, you know, in the same way that I think, I think novels are kind of at maybe the far end of that where you you really need to have 
gotten broken down a little bit. You have, like you need well, to. I don't know. I mean, as a, as a novelist, I, I I don't trust myself in in talking about how like a kid could never write a novel right. because you really the, need to be like a, a disgruntled middle aged <laughs> exactly. Jewish man living in right exactly now. right. You need to be straight. <laughs> you need to be. <laughs> You need to be a middle-aged straight white man whose books Alice. I don't know. She didn't mention my book about the the white men that she she likes reading. Um, oh yeah, she's yeah, listing yeah. all the other white men who's ever written. Yeah, ever written you're a no novel, straight so white man except Brian. Said a lot of complimentary things to me about it. I guess you're not going public <laughs> with that, Alice. Happy happy you kept that between the two of us. Not not a whole lot of book sales coming out of that conversation you had with Cameron and Matthew. But no, keep on being being kind-hearted uh, to people. To definitely. She doesn't was help, she she, she help was, my uh, bank she account. was convinced that this most recent episode would be the one that would get her canceled and everyone would hate her. I thought like I don't it's yeah. I don't I think Alice anybody it's like her it's like her weird like self uh like her weird embarrassing anecdotes like anything that she says just makes everybody feel more yeah. like find her more endearing. All right, that was this week's show. Uh, before I let you go, though, uh, Brian asked in our conversation, whatever became of my old student, the violin prodigy? And it, it occurred to me, I, I didn't know. So after we talked, I looked her up and lo and behold, she is still playing violin. She still seems to be a a goofy, funny, smart, uh, sort of quirky, strange uh, human being. <laughs> Uh, who is also a very successful TikTok influencer. So I found um, I found a few recordings of her playing music today, and um, most of them with friends. I'm not sure which one I'm going to use, but I but I figure instead of our usual outro music, I'm just going to play a little bit of her uh, performing on her uh, performing some some music with her friends. She does a lot of covers of pop songs or of uh, music, uh, m movie themes, but she also plays plenty of classical violin and seems only to have gotten better with time. So uh, her name is Amy O and she is on uh, TikTok at Lanky Hunchback. I think that's what she calls herself. Yeah, at Lanky Hunchback. Um, on TikTok. She is uh, a delight as ever. You can reach me as always at sleevericketts at gmail.com. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then, here's Amy O.